Welcome to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell. I'm a talent management thought partner and results coach, wife, and mom. Talent management leaders are hungry to learn from their peers and want to hear about real-life talent initiatives. This podcast is for and by talent management leaders. My guests and I dig into successes, challenges, and lessons learned from a very practical, not theoretical point of view. You'll discover important insights about how to elevate your confidence and amplify your influence in a role known for being caught in the organizational middle. I'm thrilled to have you listening. So let's get going and hear the truth about talent management today. Welcome back to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell, and today my guest is Matt Price. What does it take to create the right environment where people can truly thrive at work? Could you use some inspiration about how to create trust in a post-pandemic hybrid work environment? Then hit play on this episode right now. Matt is Vice President of Human Resources East Europe for Unilever, the home of Dove Personal Care Products, 7th Generation Laundry Products, Canor Soups, and many other globally recognized brands. He's responsible for HR in a very large, diverse, and complex region, and brings clear-eyed thinking and a truly strategic perspective to his work and to this conversation. He and I go way back as friends and former colleagues, and I know you will enjoy his way with words as he paints a picture for us of the progressive approach that he and Unilever take in terms of their people and talent practices. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome back to Talent Management Truths. I'm your host, Lisa Mitchell. Today, I'm joined by Matt Price, who's an old friend and colleague. We go way, way back. And Matt is currently the Vice President of Human Resources at Unilever for the East Europe Division. And so you may know Unilever. There's many different brands that we're familiar with in our households. We've got Hellman's Mayonnaise, Vim Cleaning Supplies. We've got Canor Soups and so on, and and a whole host of others that I'm sure I, I don't even know is made by Unilever. So. So I want to welcome Matt here to the show. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for asking me. This is exciting. It's wonderful to reconnect and wonderful to share some stories today. Absolutely. So Matt, would you begin perhaps just just quickly telling us a little bit about your broad responsibilities at Unilever? Yeah, thanks for asking. So you did a you did a banner job in terms of articulating it. Unilever is a global consumer packaged goods organization, about 155,000 employees. Is that um, and yeah, that's it. Uh, operating in almost every country in the world. They operate in three big categories, beauty and personal care, foods and home care would be the big, big categories that we make and sell and sell products in. Unilever's, it is a fascinating organization because it's one of the pioneers in purpose-led brands. So a lot of organizations you'll hear a lot about today talking about finding their purpose and standing for and standing for purpose. What's your why? <laughs> exactly. But Unilever is a real noble organization that that really stands behind what it markets and what it makes markets and sells to the consumer. So, you know, it's a very special organization doing very special things in the world today. You're a lucky, lucky person to be able to, to work there. So in your work supporting HR for East Europe, what gets you out of bed every day? 
Yeah, I think I, I think you know it's the variety that gets me out of bed. So in the part of the world that I have the privilege of leading, you know, there's 20 countries divided into five business units. Those 20 countries range in the north from from Estonia to the south in Cyprus. And it is a wonderfully complex and diverse part of the world where you've got a real mix of call it, you know, developed and developing economies. And so you get, you get a lot of everything, you know, you've got very strong manufacturing capabilities in this part of the world. You've got very strong digital commerce and e-commerce capabilities in this part of the world. You've got a part of Europe that's used a lot for lower labor rates. So a lot of a lot of capability flows into this part of the world to really power power many of the economies and companies on the planet. You know, so it's a very dynamic part of the world. I'd also say that, you know, my experience has been that the people in this part of the world are, are wonderfully authentic. And so, you know, it's been a real pleasure to step into the role and really look to not only serve the people that work at Unilever, but also the citizens and consumers in that part of the world with our brands. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, so, so it sounds like. I think you're a fan of where you work, which is a nice thing to be, right? Because not it's we're in the we're in the era of the great resignation. <laughs> so it's, you know, to to have such respect for the people you work with and for the organization. So what is your purpose in your role? You talk about per being purpose-led as a brand. What about your purpose for the work that you do specifically? Yeah. So, you know, I think purpose is a very powerful thing. And I think many leaders have a role to play to help foster purpose and help people find purpose in their work. You know, I like to describe my purpose as, you know, as really holding the mirror. I have it in quotes that way because, you know, I see it as a key part of my role as a talent management leader and an HR leader to to really hold up the mirror to leaders and to employees that way to help give them the feedback, give them the knowledge and give them a sense of uh, a sense of responsibility that they might that they might otherwise not know. It becomes actually kind of a real source of energy and inspiration for me to play that role, to help people really uncover their purpose or for chart their careers in the organization. And, you know, I, I'd say that that might have flowed off the tongue for me, but, you know, purpose is very much a dominant thread that cuts through the organization. So many organizations will talk a lot about having purpose. Unilever, I think, takes it a step further, and we actually train people in helping them find their purpose and have been doing that since 2017. I think at latest count, over 75,000 employees have gone have experienced a purpose workshop. It's a simple one-day purpose workshop designed by Unilever for Unilever, but a, a very moving and very powerful experience for our people. And so what, what has that, how has that served the organization? Yeah. You know, I think that this idea of purpose, while it may be a reach for some, it's actually a real basic when you actually boil it down. Think about how many how many book titles or how many podcasts or how many television shows that you've seen or heard about people finding their purpose and the need to find your purpose. You know, having people charged up and clear in terms of what they stand for and what they're here to do is incredibly is incredibly liberating and a monstrous engagement driver for people because it connects them to what they do day in and day out. It serves as a wonderful, not only a key source of energy, but also a real element of resilience in a world that changes faster now than it's ever changed. I think everyone on this podcast will agree that, you know, the amount of change that we've encountered over the last 10 years is probably faster than the last 50. 
And we like to say, and it's probably stale now, but we like to say, you know, the pace of change will never be this slow again. You know, and I think having having purpose and having a workforce energized and inspired by their own purpose is incredibly important to fueling the health and success of the business. Because at the end of the day, if you're if you don't if you don't take care of your people, then I don't think you're really doing a good job of taking care of your business. Yeah, well, it's so funny because it's easy to look at, you know, the people aspect, the talent aspect is that's your biggest cost, right? In terms of running a business, it's also your biggest asset. I think that little piece sometimes gets forgotten, right? You know, when when it's all about revenue driving, you know, in some cases, right? So it's, so it sounds like you've got a firm handle on how do we engage, how do we involve people, right? So that there's that discretionary effort and and desire to bring their best selves, their best work to yeah. bear. Yeah. No, it's it's very true. It's 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 such a good point. You know, today we pay a lot of attention to ensuring that we're creating the right kind of environment where people can thrive, right? And so that means, you know, in its most basic form, not ignoring things like psychological safety. It means being intentional about creating very inclusive cultures. It means having a very strong, clear commitment to equity, diversity, and inclusion in all of its forms, right? Because that's just the narrative that exists today in society. And so, you know, I pity the organizations that turn a blind eye to these social dynamics that are very much alive in our world today. Ignoring them, you do so at your own peril because, you know, it's just such a dominant narrative in the workforce today. And it's inside of the organization and outside of the organization. So organizations must have those ingredients that I just mentioned before in order to to really foster a healthy workforce and ultimately sustain business results over time. So I'm wondering if you would be able to share a recent example, something you're working on right now that really goes towards supporting, helping people thrive, creating an environment where they can thrive. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a few things that that, that I could cite. I think one of them is the work that we're doing in our future of work plan. So that's been, that term, terminology has been quite popularized over the last kind of year and a half. But when, when you boil it down, it's really about things like upskilling your workforce, building relevant skills and capabilities needed for today and tomorrow. It's about redeploying your workforce in different ways. It's about exploring different corporate partnerships to kind of, to create more portability and transferability of your workforce from one employer to another. And it's also a reality of responsible restructuring. We know that restructuring is just a fact and organizations do it all the time. But if you don't have a real thoughtful future of work plan and aren't intentional, you run the risk of, of doing things like they've always been done. And that may not necessarily be the best way forward. I think that many heads of industry, you know, are concerned about not building skills and capabilities fast enough in organizations. And as such, you know, the future of work plan that we've put in place is actively committed to building the right and relevant skills for people. So when you think about e-commerce, that has to be a critical skill and capability that everybody needs, irregardless of what function or what role you play, whether it be as a consumer or whether it be as a as, as someone in a sales capacity, understanding this channel is incredibly important because because it's such a big part of our world tomorrow. Yeah, you know, the the next area that I think is really important is around hybrid working. So that's also another one that's quite popular right now is really laying out hybrid ways of working. 
I believe that organizations will pick their path. They'll say that we've got to be a face-to-face environment, therefore everybody back, or organizations will go hybrid. For the ones where all organizations go back or all people go back, the reality is, is that they simply just need to plan for significantly higher levels of attrition. Because with so much choice, especially in this part of the world, you know, of employment opportunities and emerging employment opportunities, people have, people will punch their ticket and they'll say, no, thanks. I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose my lifestyle and the balance that I found. I'm going to take what's good from the pandemic and I'm going to leave behind the craziness of a commute, or I'm going to leave behind the 10 or $12 lunches that I had to buy from a food court somewhere in downtown Toronto, you know, or, or whatever city you're in. They'll shift to a place that is much more flexible so that they can hold on to what they were able to take good of from the pandemic. For us, we simply laid out hybrid working principles and then pulled people together to draft what would be working behaviors necessary to really facilitate the stickiness of hybrid behaviors mm. because we all so, know behavior changes hard. Yeah. So, so yeah, say, say a little bit more about, about that, about that conversation, right. the stickiness. Yeah. Yeah. So, you you know, when we talk about, when we talk about hybrid working, you have to, you have to start with a principle of trusting your employees, right? Because I think a lot of organizations, they don't necessarily start with a principle of, we trust our people to be doing work when we can't see them, right? We're all adults here. We trust our people to be doing work. The FaceTime thing is, is, was more real, still is in some quarters. Yeah. Exactly. Still is for sure. Right. And there's, and there's very good reason for it that a lot of organizations do it that way. I'm not, I'm not discounting the approaches that they've taken. However, what's right for our organization is, is to kind of lay out things like lay out principles like trust and then follow through with what are the behaviors that need to be demonstrated by line managers and by employees in order to facilitate that trust on an ongoing basis because we all know that trust can evaporate in a minute and you know and how do you how do you ensure that we're we're creating the right kind of forums and and we did this where we had line managers pull their people together to talk about how are we going to work together in this hybrid in this hybrid setup right so if we have freedom within a framework so let's say you know guys we need to come together 40% of the time how are we going to do that in a way that is intentional and value added while preserving all that's good from the pandemic and so, you know, and, and so we encourage people to think about when you're thinking about coming to work, think about it like you're going to a conference or think about it like you're going to an event on the day and you've, you've got your day lined up of a multitude of meetings or one big meeting. You're coming together to collaborate, to co-create, and then the, the heads down work that everybody has to do, that can be done at a local coffee shop in your home office or where wherever is more suitable where you have some quiet space. You don't need to treat the office like you did pre-pandemic, which was in the office every day, nine to five or eight to six or or good knows even more, right, for some. So it was a really important step for us to take to not only share principles, but also bring people together to talk about the behaviors. Because what what we really wanted people to do was to not have behaviors imposed upon them, but to create behaviors that worked so that people had a vested interest in ensuring that they were successful. When you collaborate with people to even create that, 
you've, you're, you're automatically creating a greater likelihood that it's going to stick over the long term. Nothing worse than having behaviors imposed upon people. You know, last time I checked, human beings don't like that very much. No, 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 they do not. They want to have that choice and they want to be involved in any kind of change, right? That has direct impact. They need and want to be acknowledged for where they're at with it given lots of context and be involved. So it really sounds like that's happening here. It's funny because um, on episode two with Tanya Trevoni, another guest that's come on the show in her organization, their um, training consulting firm, and they interviewed a lot of leaders. I can't remember the number, but it was a significant number to understand what they're, how they were working with people to determine what the back to work looked like. And it was really interesting because I think it was just on under half that had actually consulted and involved the people directly impacted, you know? So in a lot of cases, there were these, you, you know, not unilever, but unilateral decisions being taken, you know, around how people were, were going to need to show up. Yeah, I think it's, uh, the approach that you take reflects the culture that you are and the culture that you aspire to have, right, is is kind of how I'd say that. You know, we're we're inherently a very collaborative organization, a very flexible and innovative organization. So if we were to mandate something like this, it would actually it would actually be spat out by the culture. You know, it, it would be doomed to fail because it was something that was that was imposed upon people. But the fact that we took a very collaborative, a very collaborative stance to invite people into the conversation to help co-create, it just it created that stickiness and created that energy and excitement that we knew would be effective over the long term. Now, in the part of the world that I happen to that I happen to look after, you know, we still we're we, there's still offices that are only at 50 or 60 percent capacity because of the state of the pandemic. Right. But the reality is, is that of that 60 percent, we're having full attendance. So uh, of the 60, it's not like we've said it's it's not like it's not like 10% of the 60 are showing up. Of 60% capacity, we're getting 60%. And so people are wanting to come back and they're wanting to come back in a way that really works for them. And so, you know, we're we're actually quite pleased with how our return to work is going, especially in light of what we've had to endure over the last year and a half. What what if any has been a related challenge? So it's gone very well, but what has been the most challenging piece? Yeah, I think some some of the challenges that really stick out for me have been things like I think it's a, it's an excellent question. So I'm pausing because I I want to give you a, a a sharp answer. I think it's really people's fatigue is probably where I'd start. And so why is that a challenge? I think this pandemic has tested us in every single in every single way and you know and and you don't need me to elaborate much further on that. But how it's impacted our workforce is really just a sense of, of people being tired, of people, you know, struggling to keep up with the demands that just, just keep coming. And I think still finding success in balancing workloads is, is probably how, how that fatigue shows up. You, you, you know, workloads like balancing between home and work. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's obviously their individual workloads, but then it's also just kind of life workloads, right? That fatigue is real. And if you, if you follow any of the studies, you'll see that, you know, we're at a real, we're at a real inflection point. And I think Lisa, you, you made a, you, you made a point earlier on about the great resignation, right? That this is real. Now it's much more dominant in North America than it is in other parts of the world, as we see thus far. But as we know, a lot of trends 
can come out of North America. And, you know, when I, and I fundamentally think that people are, they're taking what's good that they've learned from the pandemic, reflecting on what wasn't working pre-pandemic, and then making a choice. And I, I think it's, I actually think it's great that, that people are making that choice because it's very empowering. You know, however, it comes with it a whole host of other circumstances. But, you know, I do think that fatigue is a real issue that that's come up that we haven't solved for. But we are hoping that with progressive working policies that we'll be able to give people the tools and the space to combat fatigue and find a new groove as, as they slowly get back into new routines and new rituals. Yeah. Just, just one more point I wanted to make, you know, we're at a very, very unique point and I touched on it a second ago, but you know, we haven't seen a moment like this since probably the end of the second world war. Right. And why do I say it that way? I say it that way because we have a wonderful, massive reset button in front of us and we can choose to influence it or make very powerful choices. And I think talent is making choices as per the great resignation, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way where your workforce all walks out the door and we experience 20, 30, 40% attrition rates. My belief is that we are going to have attrition because, because the societal pressures will continue to mount. Right. However, the smart organizations will meet those societal pressures with innovative practices and collaborative and collaborative and inclusive environments to help people kind of bring them best selves to work. Right. Yeah. So you're really painting a picture of a reframe for us. Right. It's from, you know, this is potential difficulty and some short term pain. Nobody likes to have vacancies on the team. Nobody, you know, like it's tough. And yet reframing it is an opportunity to be more innovative, to bring in fresh perspective, right? And for people to find, you know, find their rhythm, find their joy, find their purpose if it isn't where they've where they've been. So as much as the pandemic, it was sort of this thing that I think made a lot of us feel, you know, a lack of control at points. It was something that there's just, you're in lockdown, whatever it is, you know, you, you have these constraints imposed because of, you know, real danger health-wise. And, and yet coming out of it, it's almost like people are waking up to, oh, I have choice, more choice than I realized. And they're choosing to step into that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it's, uh, we're at a very cool moment for people, right? And, you know, I, I really hope that, that organizations really take it seriously because for the organizations that have their eyes closed to it and just say, come on back to work, everybody back in. I think you, yeah, you know, you, you do so naively. Now, there just may be a reality where, you know, that's just how your business operates and that's fine, but ensure that you're including your, your workforce in that decision and including them with the logic and the rationale as to why you're picking one path over another, because I guarantee you they'll understand it more as opposed to have something simply just imposed on them. I think it'll be, it'll be a more smoother reset or a more smoother reframe. Yeah. I agree. I think you make a good point because I mean, there's certain jobs where they cannot be done at your home. They're manufacturing, they're, you know, they're frontline. And so if you cannot involve people in the decision of whether to return full-time, it's the decision is made because of the nature of the work. How can you involve them in how they're engaged in that work and in the, the, the principles, you know, that you talked about the, how do we want to make this work together? How we lead each other? How do we interact? So, you know, something that I'm really curious about because we were talking about it earlier before hitting record is you've got some clear ideas about opportunities. What are the biggest opportunities for talent management leaders as we, as we move forward? Yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. You know, and at the risk of, at the risk of repeating myself, you know, I'll, I'll go over them again, but perhaps in this context, it'll be, it'll be even clearer, you know? So I think first and foremost, future of work, so, you know, having very clear 
plan to build relevant skills and capabilities for your workforce is really critical. And I think a huge, a huge opportunity, you know, and thinking innovatively about upskilling and capability development, right? What, what's, you know, a, what's actually an example of that? Because I think that's something that a lot of people I speak with struggle with. You know, how do you get innovative about how you develop talents. Yeah. So I, I think, I, I think very simply, you know, one simple example is you have to adapt virtual learning platforms and virtual and virtual skill development platforms for people, you know, gone are the days of the, okay, we've got to organize an, an in-person meeting to bring a bunch of people together to watch someone at the front of the room, walk you through this. I think that's, I, th- I think that's a very old model and it takes far too long. Now, it's old, yes, less effective, perhaps, but it's just, it's not timely, right? Which is the biggest thing because it's always going to take too long to pull people together. So digital everything is absolutely critical, especially when it comes to learning. Now, getting innovative is around, is around engaging people in these learning platforms because that tends to be part of the biggest barrier is that people are like, well, I don't want to learn on my own time or I don't want to learn through a screen. Whereas the pros are, well, you know, you can do it whenever you it's want to. It's just in it time. Be, it's just in time. We can put something together and bring it to you quite quickly. So I think, I, I think the communications and the, and the proposition about virtual learning for skill adoption, it needs to be made clear and adjusted for the context of your organization. But it's absolutely, it is the platform to impart skills at speed. Because remember, we're at a game that is hyper-competitive. And we can't be talking in terms of a year to acquire skills when the consumer or when the, or when the marketplace is evolving 10 times faster than that. Organizations are simply, are simply going to be left behind. I think another example is when you look at, is when you look at redeployment of people, right? Every organization restructures and every organization changes. And as a result, sometimes people need to go. And sometimes we're sad to see people go. And sometimes we kind of shrug our shoulders when people need to go. However, I think that responsible organizations need to be looking at how can we think beyond our organization? How can we think about the marketplace or think about the economy? So are there other organizations where we can create some partnerships and move labor or move move workforces but from one organization to another? And we've got examples of where we've done that in the US between Unilever and airlines, for example, where we've oh. shared where we shared workforces. So there, there, there's a lot of innovative practices out there that begin for, for us to think beyond just saying goodbye to people and thinking differently about, well, how can we create not only greater employment, because at the end of the day, as business leaders, we all understand that a greater level of employment is better. But then how, how do we also enhance our brand as being seen as an innovative employer that can find innovative solutions as opposed to we change all the time. And as a result of us changing all the time, we're constantly having to say goodbye to people. I think a much more exciting proposition is we're thinking creatively about how and what what's possible with your career. And it's almost endless, but it's always kind of different employment opportunities as opposed to a see you later type uh, type end game. It's, it's a really interesting framework because it's, it's this idea of really tapping into what's right for your talent. 
even if where they are currently is no longer right because the needs of the business have changed or their knowledge or experience or skill set or fit. It, it's just not there. And yet they're still a human being. They're still, you know, someone with capabilities. So how could we redeploy, redeploy? I'm glad you elaborated on that because when you talked about, you mentioned responsible restructuring before, I was kind of curious about how that yeah. played out. Yeah, because ma- many of us that listen to this podcast will know how restructuring goes. What we're doing is 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 we're basically saying, hang on a sec, it's time for rethinking or reimagining what this world of change and the manifestation of those changes could actually look like. And wouldn't it be great as an organization that stands for something more that you're able to think through those solutions and create new employment opportunities for people. And, and it's their choice to decide where they, where, you know, if they stay or if they go. But I think the fact of thinking those things, th- thinking that process through, creating these opportunities to redeploy with other organizations, I think is a very exciting proposition for people. Yeah. And I think there might be some people listening going, yeah, sure. Good for you to say, Matt, when you've got like how many thousands of people globally, right? And in the, in the company, you can create these big power full of partnerships. And yet I do think that even on a smaller scale, small, you know, maybe not small, medium-sized businesses, I think that there's opportunities in that kind of tier, right? Size-based, industry-based, whatever it looks like to create these synergies. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Lisa. I think it's an and, and. So, you know, yes, we have scale and yes, we can present these big possibilities. This is true. But I also think in smaller sized organizations or small to medium sized organizations, it's having that mindset that will serve you right. Because then all of a sudden you're open to innovative ways of doing things, right? You know, as opposed to being closed-minded to this is how we always do things. So, you know, we're, you know, so why would we, why would we change it, right? But I think some of the best ideas and the most unique, compelling ideas come from small and medium-sized organizations, right? You know, get, get given how much of the economy that those businesses make up. Yeah, they're a real engine combined. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The second thought I had for you, in addition to future of work, was hybrid working. So I think that's a big, big opportunity that organizations need to get right. And I talked at length about, you know, the importance of, of collaborating in order to to design that future state. But make no mistake that the, the full book isn't written on hybrid working, right? There's still about six or seven chapters to yeah. go. We're right? just at the beginning. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, but the advice for what it's worth that I give listeners is is really treated as a seminal moment to reset and recraft work habits, rituals around how you approach your work and how you approach your life so that it, it works for you and not the other way around. Right. And so I think we're at a wonderful moment that doesn't come along very often. And it's happening right now. It's not going to happen in a year. It's happening right now. So it's really important to jump on this momentum and this kind of opportunity that's sitting in front of us. The third thing is, uh, and I haven't elaborated on this too much, but I did say something in the beginning, is how social injustice dominates the narrative in workforces today. You know, a very clearly stated equity, diversity, and inclusion plan is absolutely critical, as is, you know, reporting on and communicating actions against that plan. You know, thousands of CEOs around the world have signed the CEO Action Diversity Pledge. You know, so this is a big, big social movement that's happening all around us. And as as HR leaders, if you don't, if it's not happening in your organization, you can guarantee it's happening outside of your organization. So by by virtue of that, it is happening in your organization. It's just that you don't see it. 
it's incredibly important that you have your eyes and ears wide open and you're actively crafting an EDI plan and reporting on those actions. And, and then lastly, never come short on the basics. Right. You know, sometimes we sometimes we get all excited about shiny new things as a result of all this change that we're faced with, that we forget about being really clear on the basics with people. And what are those? Right. You know, it's making people feel that you care about them and that you care about their development. Right. Make sure that those pieces are absolutely in the fabric of your organization. You know, give them hope and give them purpose. Right. That's though those are core things that we need to get right. Goes without saying, pay them fairly, right? However you decide what pay fair looks like, just pay them fairly, right? Because that's what the majority of people are really looking for. And then lastly, recognize their work. Recognize it at every turn, right? On small basises, on big basises, recognize their work. These are core ingredients that people crave, irrespective of industry, irrespective of business. And, you know, when you fail at getting these right at the expense of doing the other things I mentioned, you're, you're not building a resilient workforce. You're not bringing a workforce with you. And at the end of the day, that's the job. Yeah. yeah ultimately, it's taking care of people so they take care of the work, right? It's, it's, yeah, it has to start with them. The employee experience drives the customer experience. It's something that, you know, I talk a lot, a lot about in my work. I really believe in that. So, yeah, some great examples there. So let's let's move to kind of the wrap-up question, if we would, because I can't believe how quickly that flew, that entire conversation. When you think about, you know, you and I worked together, my God, a really, really long time ago. Remember that? We sat in little cubicles together and we did that old model person at the front of the room training call center agents and all sorts of stuff. We had a good, a good time though doing it, learned a lot. So, you know, if you think about our humble beginnings and, and where you are now, what's, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in our field along the way? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot, right? And I was, I was thinking, I, I like to think about that. I think you, you probably took the words right out of my mouth, right? Like when you look after people, they will look after your business, right? Is, is kind of the, is, is kind of this big lesson. Not only did I didn't learn it in the pandemic because I always knew it, but it's just how consistent you have to be by having that kind of front of mind to ensure that you, you can kind of look yourself in the mirror right? Pardon the metaphor from, from my purpose, but look yourself in the mirror and really say, you know what, when I look at my portfolio of work and the impact that I'm having, can I honestly say that I'm, that I'm trying to take care of people and that I'm having an impact in taking care of people? Because it does translate into business performance, right? And, and remember the social pressures that we all face, right? Remember the, the pandemic pressures that we're just coming out of. Remember the fatigue that we feel from time to time, right? Remember just how fast the world is changing. And for some, it's exhilarating. For others, it's tiring. But, you know, so think about all those things that you're feeling. Guarantee that it's magnified by everyone in your workforce. When, when you've got your compass squarely in front of you, that's saying, you know, point north, look after your people, they'll look after the business, then it is a straight line. It is a straight line to do that. When you take your eye off caring for your people, then different things happen and you don't get the results that you need. But our people need to feel cared for. They need energy and they need resilience, right? In this market that we're operating in. 
And so it, it becomes a huge part of our job to enable that care for people. And when we can get a system doing that, then we can get greater workforce outputs and greater productivity. Yeah, I really appreciate the metaphor of the compass, right? You know, if that's your, your true north, that caring, like that's fundamentally what guides us in all of our decisions and choices. It really starts to help you because talent management people are that, you know, caught in the organizational middle, right? Like you, you really are. And it helps you stay the course, I think, and not get sucked down the rabbit holes and onto the tangents and the throwing stuff at the wall flavor of the month traps that can easily trip you up as you're trying to respond to the needs in a timely way. So, so keeping that, that compass in front and top of mind, I think driving consistency over time is really key. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Matt. What a yeah. pleasure to have you on and, oh, and, to, and to get caught up in here about the amazing work you're doing. And I really, really appreciate your time, your time with oh, us. Wonderful. Yeah. Listen, Lisa, thank you very much. And I really enjoyed it. I, I had a blast. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your colleagues. Better yet, head over to iTunes and let us know. When you subscribe and leave me a five-star review, not only do I glow from within, but more people will learn about the show and why they should listen. Until next time, keep telling the talent management truth.